0: Testing, testing,
1: testing, one, two, three. Testing, one, two, three. Welcome to Talking Underwater. One Water.
0: One Podcast.
1: I'm Lauren Baltis, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. I'm Lauren Estes, Managing Editor of Water Quality Products.
0: And I'm Bob Crossan, Managing Editor of Water Waste Digest. This month's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about Washington State's new requirements on wineries as it, as it relates to their wastewater discharge, as well as um, a some problems for some drinking water issues in Newark, New Jersey. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then we also have an interview with Carolyn Howard um, from Draper Aiden Associates. So let's kick it off, I guess, with... Uh, let's actually start with the, the Newark, New Jersey yeah, sure. uh, drinking water. Um, that sounds more interesting, I think, than the wineries for the yeah, moment. Yeah, have
2: you guys read about this issue at all?
0: I, I'm not very familiar with it at all, now.
2: So, um, in Newark, New Jersey, they've had some lead contamination issues in their drinking water for a while, and the city and the state have been working to provide corrective solutions. So, last fall, um, the city of Newark provided... 40,000 water filters to residents who had contamination issues Um, in the interim, you know, while they're working on other solutions, of course. Um, But recently, the U.S. EPA um, sent a letter to Newark saying that they had found some problems with the water filters that at least two homes had tested with the filters and found lead levels above the federal action level and that they recommended bottled water distribution. So so the city of Newark is distributing bottled water to many of the residents who are facing this problem and who had um, received the free water filters. Um, In response, the WQA has supported the EPA's um, statement and recommendation for the bottled water in the meantime. And Mm -hmm. Um, hopefully they can find a solution. There's yeah. not a lot of information available right now so we'll just kind of see mm-hmm. how it plays out. Um,
0: yeah so I, I guess my my biggest question then is like is this just a matter of the filters or is the is it just that there's that much lead in the water that this filter can't even get low enough? I, uh, like I, I'm not entirely sure the technical. aspect of that
2: yeah. so I've thought about it and again there's not a lot of information available as relates to that at the moment Mm -hmm. Um, the only thing I can think of is that perhaps it's a maintenance concern that the city is providing these free water filters and um, people are not not having the skill set to maintain them in their home and that could be part of the issue Um, hopefully we have more information on that soon though Mm -hmm. and it's great that the city is providing bottled water in the interim Mm -hmm. though
1: well, that brings up the um, issue of education then and how important yes. it is that when you provide water quality treatment options that you also have to educate the people using them or maintaining mm-hmm. them um, on how to use them properly because otherwise it's useless. And And it's something I think we see internationally a lot with a mm-hmm. lot of um, um, groups that will provide treatment options to developing countries mm-hmm. um, and then maybe not educate the community enough on how to mm-hmm. maintain it, how to use it, what technology and resources are necessary, and then it isn't as effective. Mm-hmm. And so um, that just like reinforces the importance of that yeah. education
0: mm-hmm. element. Well, and that's interesting that you mentioned that too, because there is an article in WQP I think yeah. coming up
2: from RO to rainwater, yeah, mm-hmm. um, on that very subject.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and at the Water Leaders Summit too, there was a a, a woman um, who was speaking about her work. Um, in, like, impoverished countries and stuff doing that mm-hmm. and that a big, big part is creating the, the framework for the community to manage that and showing them how to build kind of a, a like, what's a good way to put it, just kind of that, that accountability amongst each other to make yeah. sure that the filters are maintained and that the water system is maintained and yeah. they stay there long enough to make sure that everyone's fully trained and that they can do it on their own mm-hmm. and so that when they leave, they don't leave it just, like, You have a thing now. Great, we did great work, you know. So, uh, I think that a lot of those organizations are doing a lot more to do that too now,
1: which is good to see. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's also really important to note that while the EPA's federal action level for lead in drinking water is 15 ppb, the um, American Pediatric Society says that no level of lead is safe for children in drinking water. Mm -hmm. So. Especially important that they're being really proactive about addressing these concerns right now.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, um,
2: so we'll just follow that closely and, and see what happens and hope for the best for the people of Newark facing this issue. Um, mm-hmm. In the meantime, Bob, you had something you wanted to talk about as relates to a new law for wine in Washington State and wastewater yeah. monitoring.
0: So um, in Washington State the to my knowledge prior to what I'm discussing here now there was some type of permitting for wastewater discharge and that kind of thing it's just that it's a little bit more nuanced now i guess mm. um so there there a lot of the wineries the wine industry as a whole in the state has to comply with new wastewater monitoring discharge entry and like management requirements for the wastewater through the manufacturing process of wine um and to just put that in perspective, wine operations in Washington creates about seventy five hundred cases of wine, which is seventeen thousand yeah. eight hundred and thirty five gallons oh, per that? year. Uh, so it's a big, a pretty mm-hmm. massive industry.
1: There's a need for it. <laughs> <laughs> we love wine. Yeah. Um,
0: so anyway, the. Um, this article that we that I learned of this from was from the Seattle Times, and they had interviewed uh, Jürgen Gra- Jürgen Grieb. He's a German winemaker, but he said that in Germany they have a lot of these wastewater requirements already. So he was just kind of d- thought that they already were instituted in, yeah. in Washington, or was surprised that they weren't instituted. Um, so he was all for it, but then there were other winemakers on the other side of the issue. So one of them is Paul Beveridge, who was quoted in this story, and he's the owner of uh, Will. Willridge Winery, um, and he's the president of Family Wineries of Washington. And his his concerns are that um, while the, while it's nice to imp- impose like this kind of discharge restriction upon wineries and winemakers and stuff like that, they're far from the worst um, mm-hmm. like sure but they're far from the the worst discharges in the, in the state like there's a lot of industrial users who, who he believes are more likely need to have better restrictions or be held more accountable than the wineries do so it's an interesting dilemma there because yeah. they're even so I think that like when we're thinking about this from a one water perspective it doesn't matter where that discharge comes from it still should be treated Mm -hmm. like I I, I get the the argument there but that's not an argument to say that you shouldn't manage your discharge you
2: can't just say there are worse things so that should take priority because all Mm -hmm. like it's a total one water environmental Mm -hmm. complete picture and the beverage industry is such a one water topic because Mm -hmm. from from conception all the way to wastewater it's essential that the water quality is treated that Mm -hmm. the waste is being Mm -hmm. managed appropriately and then ultimately that even comes into play if it is discharged inappropriately and affects the stormwater yeah. aspect
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah i think it, it to me it reminds me a lot of our discussions when we were talking about like plastics and waterways yeah. and how like oh yeah i could i can request to not have a straw and it's like sure the straw is far from the biggest contributor to plastics yeah. and waterways but yeah. at least i'm doing what i can to as my part yeah. in helping that environment and from my from my perspective if a winemaker can spend some time to monitor their wastewater discharge, like yeah. that's a good thing. It's mm-hmm. not. It's that's not so point. much a bad and thing. And it,
1: it, it kind of comes back to this. Like um, I don't remember what um, the phraseology is for this, but kind of like ethical consumption or um, <laughs> purchasing and thinking about the companies that you're purchasing from. From do they have mm-hmm. ethical practices and mm-hmm.
0: and
1: and protecting the environment from uh discharges is is one way that they can do that
0: yeah well and it's a good way to i mean sure all of these winemakers in washington have to comply with this but it is a good way to set yourself apart from other wineries say there's other states that don't have similar requirements you could say we're held to the highest standard of wastewater discharge you know that becomes a
1: Mm -hmm. that
0: becomes a whole way for you to promote your business a little bit differently too so
1: consumers are i think are valuing that more and more now
0: totally agree
1: absolutely absolutely agree
0: yeah. Well, but anyway that anyway. was I thought that was I thought that was interesting that there was that this article also had some two sides of that same coin yeah. and kind of the perspective that it gave so
1: thank you for sharing with us Bob so next we wanted to um, introduce our interview for the episode um, this. As Bob mentioned earlier, this month we spoke to Carolyn Howard. She's a PE and she's the Vice President and Regional Site Development and Infrastructure Team Lead for Draper Aiden Associates. Um, our goal for this month was to speak to a woman, a woman who works in the water industry and hear her story and her path. Um, National Women's Day was August 9th, and um, it seemed like a great topic for um for this month. We all really enjoyed speaking to her and mm-hmm. we hope that you enjoy this too. So here's Carolyn. Okay. Um, so we're here with Carolyn Howard. Um, thanks so much for joining us today, Carolyn. Um, so we just wanted to start off with a few questions for you. Um, let's see. Uh, I guess we can just start off by talking a little bit about your career and um wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what drew you to um engineering and to stormwater in particular. Okay.
3: Well, um my career I, I was drawn to civil engineering, um, because I was following in my father's footsteps, which You know, at that time, coming out of school, high school in the late 80s, um, there weren't too many uh, women going into engineering, but there were a lot more than in the previous decades. So um, I followed in his footsteps and um, obtained my Bachelor's of Science in Civil Engineering. Is like anyone else, you go and find your first job. And, you know, one of the things that I firmly believe is that we are products of the opportunities that are presented to us, a long life's journey, and and we are products of how we respond to them. So with that said, my first project out of school was a comprehensive drainage study for a city in Indiana. And after that, that's all pretty much I've been doing, whether it be through development projects, needing stormwater controls or floodplain modeling, um, to an opportunity I had, oh gosh, now it's been 20 years ago, to model an historic flood event um, in North. Northeast Illinois, and that had significant damage and property loss. So all those things at the beginning of my career kind of formed my uh, interest in stormwater um, management. So I know you said that you were following in your father's footsteps, but had you ever considered a different career path for yourself? Um, At one point, I did consider um, becoming a math teacher. Um I was really good at math and science throughout my high school career and and into college, so that was one of the things that I thought about doing but other than that i you know I went to school, finished my degree, and you know here almost thirty years later I'm still in civil engineering
0: yeah uh, you so you you said again, following your father's footsteps, and you mentioned that it wasn't really common that a lot of women were going into civil engineering at that time. Um, we do notice that the the industry tends to be kind of male-dominated. Um, how, how do you think that has impacted you, and how does it impact the industry moving forward since we're seeing more of that happening now, more women getting
3: involved? Yeah. Um, when When I first got out of school, it was very difficult. It wasn't just the male domination. It was also learning how to work with females who had other roles within the firm, such as administrative roles Mm -hmm. and um, marketing roles, and how to navigate being on the technical side, the corporate side of the um, company versus the administrative side and those relationships. That was probably the most difficult thing to deal with was um, dealing with the other females that you worked with Um, regarding the male dominated industry um, I it took me a while to gain the confidence to sit in a room with a bunch of men and um, you know hold my own Um, but eventually I got there probably about five years out of school and since then I don't even notice you know, I don't sit there and go, you know, I'm the only woman in the room. No, I'm I'm a civil engineer. You know, I'm a project manager. This is my job. You know, mm-hmm. it's just what I'm used to doing. Were there any kind of mentors
1: along the way that helped you navigate that?
3: Um, I didn't have any female engineering mentors. Uh, and really... For a couple of decades, which was kind of sad. Um, But I did have some really good male mentors. Um, One who reinforced and taught me good design habits and the technical theory behind the hydraulics and hydrology required for stormwater management. And then another who uh, really taught me how good business skills and the importance of ethics in the workplace. And so I had two two widely different uh, mentoring from males um, that were very influential for my career. So
2: it sounds like mentorship has been a really important part of your career and your personal growth. Have you done any mentorship yourself? Do you foster mentorship with young professionals?
3: As Uh, intentional mentorship no but I have for the past 20 years I've had teams of individuals that I've worked with and have been their supervisor and as their supervisor I have mentored Um, today I have a team of 12 six of which are women including myself so Mm -hmm you know that the numbers are growing and uh as far as women in civil engineering and stormwater management practice and so it it's just kind of a daily occurrence to mentor others for me
0: yeah so kind of along those lines um do you have any advice for women who are entering the uh water industries uh i'm sure that it's you've kind of picked up a few lessons and stuff along the way that you tend to, to tell a lot of employees as well, but uh, what what type of advice advice would you give to young women entering the industry too?
3: Yeah, a couple of things that I would like to share are um, the first and foremost is own your mistakes and learn from them. We all make mistakes. We're all human. And those have been the best tools for me to progress in my career, as strange as that may sound. Are the mistakes that I made? Because let me tell you, you don't make them again. <laughs> um, the other one is uh, seek out, intentionally seek out professional and personal role models to not only assist you with the technical aspects of what you do, but coach you through the every everyday parts of life. Mm-hmm. Um, my other piece of advice is be authentic. Always be true to yourself and to your values. Um people can see right through that, whether it be whether you're giving a presentation to a client or to a locality or whether you're just talking with a resident that has a stormwater problem. Just be be true to yourself and, you know, be honest and treat everyone with respect. Hmm. My other piece of advice which I've only had to learn to deal with over the past, what, 10 to 15 years, is this thing called a phone and technology that <laughs> um, has made it a lot easier for you to be quote-unquote on the clock 24-7. As as a wife, a mother, and as a professional, um, I've had to learn to create boundaries. No matter what somebody's level is in an organization, if you're a president of a company, down to an entry-level engineer, I firmly believe that everyone needs to set aside blocks of time for your family and for your other interests so that you can be a more productive, fulfilled person and employee and technical professional. Mm
2: -hmm. So something that really strikes me about your advice to young professionals is that not specific to women young professionals in the industry. It's very broad reaching, um, which kind of goes back to what you were saying at the beginning of our interview, which is when you were starting in the industry, um, you very much felt the presence of being the only woman in the room, but now it's very natural to you. So are you starting to see a shift in the male-dominated industry becoming more equalized?
3: I do. Uh, As a matter of fact, a couple of the stormwater uh, professional committees um that I'm involved with here in the Commonwealth of Virginia I would almost say it's half and half if not more women pro- stormwater professionals in the That's room That's exciting It is and so um and and bringing in new young uh female engineers as well as male engineers we just treat each other as professionals and you know, I just again, as I mentioned before, I've gotten to the point now where, you know, I'm Carolyn Howard, yes I am a woman, but when I'm in a room with with men talking about a project, I'm Carolyn Howard the engineer, project manager, whatever hat I have on that day. Not Carolyn Howard a woman. And that's how I think I think the industry is changing where you're seeing people for who they are, not what they are.
1: That's lovely, Carolyn. Thank you for sharing that um and I guess we we can ask one more question to wrap this up mm-hmm. um and um speaking of you know um some things that you draw inspiration from as you give advice and as you move along in your career, um what would you say that? What would you say inspires you in this role? Um, and really, that's a very broad question. The sky's the limit. Um, it can be a person or um, a hobby or value
3: or what, what have you. Um, uh, we're, we're curious to hear. So may I ask, are you talking about as in context of a stormwater professional or just in general as a professional? In the the, the question is open to however <laughs> you'd like to answer it because we lo- okay yeah well um and and that's good because I think going back to um what I would say to someone coming into the workforce is be authentic and what it inspires me is, is I've been re- recently introduced to a new benediction and it's a words that reflect what I would like to be known for and remembered for. Um, That is being kind and compassionate to all people, and this is this is a portion of that benediction. And it's life is short, and we don't have much time to gladden the hearts of those who make the journey with us. So be swift to love and make haste to be kind. And to me, that inspires me every day in whatever I do, and whomever I meet, and whoever I do. Um,
0: That that, is lovely.
3: Thank you for sharing. Um,
1: Yes. It's been really so wonderful to have you on the podcast. Um, Thank you so much for being here.
3: Oh, thank you very much for having me.
1: I thought she was fantastic. (laughs) Thank you so much, Carolyn, for speaking with us. as we mentioned on our call with you, that you were speaking to three young professionals, and um, we value your advice, and we hope that our listeners do as well.
0: Yeah, it's just very empowering messaging yes. and mm-hmm. um, great ways of like framing your mindset on stuff yes. um, as a like across all anything really. Absolutely. I think it's not it's not just a professional level of, yeah. of mindset to keep in mind, but just a personal one too. And so.
1: I think it's some an, an aspect of um, our roles as. Uh, journalists in the water industry is having the privilege to elevate um, different types of voices and perspectives Mm -hmm. in the industry and so we were happy to have the opportunity this month in particular yeah totally okay so um that about wraps up this episode Mm -hmm. um we wanted to um mention a few things and some housekeeping first thing to mention would be um Don't forget that in October, we're hosting our first ever infrastructure virtual summit, which is an event brought to you by Stormwater Solutions, Water and Waste Digest, and Roads and Bridges. And so you'll see three days of free live keynote webinars um, covering roads and water infrastructure and all the ways that they cross over. And we're really excited. Um, Should we announce some of our speakers? Yeah,
0: why don't we? So... um I, we have, on the second day, mm-hmm. uh, the American Society of Civil Engineers is going to present on their infrastructure report card. Um, from It's stuff from 2017, but it's still relevant, I'm sure, to today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, we're we just we're really excited to have yeah. them present, and yeah. their, their information is always really cool.
1: Um, and we'll also have some speakers from some major engineering firms, such as Stantec and CDM-Smith. Mm-hmm reporting on some recent projects that cover multiple parts of the industries, so um, we're really excited to, to have them on board as well. And there, we have even more speakers than that, so um, mm-hmm. our website will be live shortly. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Actually, I think it's, it's live th- right now. Oh,
1: good. Um,
0: let me pull up the URL. So the, the URL for the event is roads-water-summit.com.
1: Please join us at this event, and we're really excited for it.
0: And the registration link is working, so you can register already for the event.
1: Great, this That's is awesome. um, an inaugural event, so we're really excited to have everybody on board for it.
0: Yeah, I think that we're particularly interested in just kind of showcasing how there's overlap across yes. all of the tra- all of like the infrastructure things that go on. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we all know, but like to highlight that with speakers and stuff like that is really cool too. So, other than that, just your your normal stuff. We're on Spotify, I, uh, Apple Podcasts, not iTunes anymore because that doesn't Mm -hmm. exist but um and then uh, we're also on google podcasts as well but yeah definitely uh like subscribe um you can find us also on soundcloud if you prefer to use that streaming service as well but um like subscribe leave a review that's all that all definitely helps us out um and we'd like to know more about how we're doing as well if you want to engage us in conversation you can send an email to talking underwater at sgcmail.com
1: Thanks, everybody. Thanks, all. See you next month.
0: Yep, see you next month. Bye.